lower and, and that's really a class issue and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Happy Sunday, everyone. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Hey, guys. You had fun with the fight last night? I I had so much fun watching the fight last night. I did. I watched it in, at Harlem Tavern with some friends, and I really thought it was going to be a blowout. But surprisingly, the Mayweather danced around the ring till like the ninth round, and it was really compelling and interesting. So I'm happy that I spent. Well, I don't know. I'm not happy about the cover charge. I I, I was charged, but I'm happy that I did watch it. But um, yeah. Hey guys, my name is Selena Hill. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk about politics, social issues, foreign policy, and we do that all from a very diverse millennial perspective. Now, as I said, I'm Selena Hill. I'm sitting in Stanley Fritz's chair because he's apparently celebrating Being a loser. His, yeah, celebrating his anniversary or something that couples do. Actually, know. you know where he is, right? now in dc yeah no i know he's in dc but he's actually at the museum for african-american history at the moment according to um maryland's facebook so (laughs) shout out to stanley and maryland taking in some african-american history this morning yeah so basically they're vacationing Uh, they're on a vacation i go on workcations he goes on vacations heavy heavy quotes (laughs) on the work (laughs) seriously i every time i'm working on vacation i'm seriously i'm working guys but um yeah so i'm selena hill you can follow me on instagram and twitter at miss selena hill i'm here with my co-host Alyssa fuchs Hey, guys. Um, So I am Alyssa Fuchs. As Selena just said, um, I'm really tired this morning from staying up all night to watch the fight. Uh, But it was really good, and I really liked it. Um, You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs slash the mic is hitting me in the face. Um, And that is Alyssa Fuchs with an I. Uh, Or you can follow me on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, also with an I, I I-L-Y-S-S-A. Fuchs, like the curse, but it's an H instead of a K. So that's how you remember it. Um, You can also find me on the fan page on Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous or at Poll Preposterous on Twitter. And uh, we have special guests today here, Chad from The Good, The Chad, and The Ugly. And I'll uh, throw it to him to introduce himself. Good morning, everyone. I'm Chad R. McDonald, and you can find me on Facebook at... Chad R. McDonald, but I also run the uh, Facebook uh, fan page, The Good, The Chad, and The Ugly, where uh, I speak to everything from politics to parenting to pop culture. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at ChadMac19, and I'm very happy to be here and joining Selena and Alyssa once more. Yes, we are very happy to have you here, Chad. And fun fact, guys, Jackie Cohen is not here as well. She's Loser. making uh, media rounds on CNN and New York One. I don't know what else she's doing, but yeah, so Alyssa and I, your favorite half of the team is here, and we have Chad R. McDonald filling in for the rest of the crew. But we have a great show lined up. We're going to start off speaking about the Afghanistan war. Now, this is a topic that we haven't visited in a while here on Let Your Voice Be Heard, but it's been warranted for us to talk about it because Donald Trump has apparently tried to... uh, He's tried to give our new military strategy, except for he didn't give many details. Did you expect him to? (laughs) I mean, 
he he usually just blabbers anything. Like, yeah, but I was, he's usually uh, blabbering and being very light on any details. And I substance. Mean, exactly. I mean, like, I could blabber your ear off. I could literally blabber for an hour and tell you nothing. Um, and that's exactly what Donald Trump does. So don't pretend that, like, he actually is saying anything of substance. Yeah, with Afghanistan, all he was was teleprompter president. He didn't really add anything of substance. He... Except for the fact that he went back on his previous positions where he was uh, definitely supporting the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, all of a sudden, he's adding more troops. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that in depth. uh, First half of the show. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about the Trump dysfunction. So he has an ongoing feud with the Republican establishment, specifically targeting Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan and some other Republican leaders uh, in on Capitol Hill. So we'll talk about that, the divisions, and why he may be threatening to shut down the government Yeah, I mean, as a president. Because <laughs> apparently we went from Mexico's going to pay to the wall to y'all are all going to pay for the wall. Otherwise, we're going to shut the government down. So funny how that happened. Seriously. Seriously. And then last but not least, Alyssa will give us a quickie on why Sheriff Joe Apicio Arpaio. Arpaio is never going to spend a day in jail, even though he was convicted for a, a criminal d- contempt. Yeah, he he did not abide by a court law and he continued to racially profile Latinos in Arizona. And now he's not even going to suffer any punishment for it. Yeah, to the extent he uh, he continued the racial profiling of, of uh, Latino suspects to the extent where uh, various cases of child uh, endangerment and molestation cases were completely ignored because all the resources were about profiling. Horrible. Horrible. But you know what? He's a Trump loyalist, so uh, that that's what's going on basically in our country. So it's a lot. It's pretty depressing. But don't worry, guys. We always leave you with a call to action on how we can do something to resist, all right? And guys, if you want to chime into this conversation, don't be afraid to give us a call at 212-69650. All right, let's just start from the beginning. <laughs> 212-650-6903. Right, and you can tweet us at beheard underscore radio. You can also leave us a comment on <laughs> like your point. Shad is looking at us like so awkwardly. I know. Facebook.com slash uh, let your voice be heard. Well, Yeah, leave your comments there. We'll be taking them there. You can also leave them on uh, Alyssa's fan page, Politically Preposterous. She'll be checking comments there, guys. So, again, guys, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Do not go anywhere because when we come back, we're kicking off the show with an in-depth conversation about the Afghanistan war. And if you could just give that number out one more time, Alyssa. That's 212-650-6903. We will be right back. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we're talking politics, foreign policy, social issues, and a lot of Trump dysfunction this morning. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs. And we have our political pundit commentator expert, Chad R. McDonald from the good, the Chad, and the ugly. You can follow him there on Facebook. So, guys, as I mentioned, we're kicking off the show talking about the longest American war ever and, pro- and why it probably won't ever end. Except for Donald Trump doesn't even know how long it was. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and so he doesn't know how long it was, and we don't know how long this is going to go on. So last Monday, President Donald Trump announced that he plans to send 
4,000, I don't think he gave a specific number, but it was 4,000 troops um, <laughs> that was later revealed to Afghanistan and extend the Afghanistan war, which began in 2001. Wow. A long, long time ago. 16 years ago. So the speech was somber. It was pretty straightforward. And he actually managed to read the teleprompter without going on a tangent about the election victory or defending white nationalists, calling them very fine people. I mean, it was almost <laughs> impressive for a third grader, right? You're giving him too much credit. No, if he was, no for a third grader. Okay. Um, <laughs> maybe a second grader. Um, Maybe. So uh, he, oh, he didn't, however, give details about his military strategy. But he did say, and I quote, we are not nation building again. We are killing terrorists. He also said. Yeah, OK. <laughs> right. It's like the story of OJ. <laughs> I guess. Uh, he also said that according to his generals, leaving Afghanistan is not a viable option because it would recreate a, it would create a vacuum uh, where the Taliban or ISIS could make a power grab. Now, if you happen to be voting for Donald Trump, you probably won't be listening to the show. But like you we all remember when he made that campaign promise that he wanted to end the war. He even said in his speech, it, it's against my instinct. Like my instinct was to end this war. But then when I sat down with my generals, I thought mm, probably not a good idea. Now, three days later, General John Nicholson, who was Trump's senior general in Afghanistan, he said that the U.S. military would crush ISIS in Afghanistan and that the Taliban should come to the negotiation table. We want to negotiate with the Taliban. (laughs) Apparently, if you don't want to attack or kill them. Uh, Meanwhile, the U.S. will expand its attack on ISIS and al-Qaeda. Now, the U.S. currently has up to 12,000 troops in Afghanistan who mostly provide support to the Afghan National Army. However, the Afghan National Army, fight against the Taliban, has not been good. It's not been fruitful uh, the tele- because the Taliban happens to control now over half of Afghanistan's district. They fully control 34 districts and 16 of um, Afghanistan's 34 provinces. Now... That's the reality of the situation. Some things that Donald Trump didn't uh, uh, address in his speech, including uh, like substance and details and the amount of troops. Uh, he also didn't talk about uh, how Russia is investigating in Afghanistan and aiding the Taliban's uh, fight against ISIS. Uh, and he also didn't really say that uh, this is a fight in Afghanistan that I don't think we could win. I think we can lose, but I don't think we could win. I mean, I, some people would say we already have lost. And, you know, I want to actually open up the panel there. And if you guys are listening, feel free to chime into the conversation. The number is 212-650-6903. First question. So what was your reaction to Trump's speech? Chad? Well, my first reaction is um, the speech itself, as we've mentioned didn't really tell us anything. So what are his true motivations here for adding more troops to Afghanistan? And you think back to what he, the things that he said on the campaign trail when he referred to Iraq. Why didn't we just take the oil? Why didn't we commit war crimes? Why didn't we steal resources? And I think that's one factor that we're talking about. Afghanistan has... Um, uh, Rachel Maddow was talking about it the other night. Vast resources of lanthanum, which are very important for batteries and, uh, and lighters. energy. Lighters. That's right. I'm sorry. But uh, he's basically, I think, looking to go in, and uh, uh, there's no other quiet way to say this. He's going to look in and rape and pillage 
the natural resources of Afghanistan. He's also looking to move into privatization of the war. So you want to talk about never leaving. No, if you privatize, like, for example, Blackwater or various military resources tied to Eric Prince. Yes, that Eric Prince in the Trump cabinet. Um, that would that would mean privatization, mercenaries, and uh, and the reason Blackwater was kicked out of Iraq was simply because like all of the collateral damage they did to civilians and uh, and to to property in general. Because when you privatize a war like that, and now people are actually making direct money from it, I mean you're looking at Halliburton times a thousand. And not only will we never leave, but there never will be motivation to do so. Right. No, I mean, listen, I agree with all that. When I first heard the speech, I guess my first reaction was just like, you know, this is just endless, right? It never, never ends. Um, And also, like, my other reaction was just like, uh, well, you know, it's light on details, but I kind of expected that because it's Trump. And he's always light on details um, because he doesn't actually know how to govern um, or what he's doing. Um, That said, yeah, I did also catch the Rachel Maddow piece. I thought that was a really interesting part of this conversation. Um, You know, the idea that we would literally try and not um, set up their fields to be able to mine those resources for them and for their benefit. Benefit and for the people of Afghanistan be able to make their own self-determinations, um, but literally send in American companies to mine their land um, and to take all their resources, yes. which is literally the most imperialist thing that we can do. And it raises the question, why are we really there? Um, yeah. Because if you remember going back to 2001, the stated reason for why we were in Afghanistan was that we were fighting the war on terror, uh, because that's where Osama bin Laden was, and that's where the Taliban was, and they helped to plan the 9-11 attack, even though none of the 9-11 hijackers were actually even from Afghanistan. Um, and Obama killed Osama bin Laden. And obviously we know that um, uh, today the big problem really isn't so much the Taliban, at least in you know terms of American security. Um, it's more of ISIS, although ISIS has been infiltrating into Afghanistan because of the lawlessness in the region. Um, so it sets up this real the real question is, is why are we still there? Why do we stay so long? What are the goals that we are trying to accomplish there? Um, because that is the those are the questions we have to ask if we want to determine if the war is winnable. This is not a war like World War Two, where the war is winnable when it ends and everybody surrenders and then we extract promises from them. This is like an ongoing thing. Like, what do we want? We want a stable Afghan Afghani government, stable forces that can control their own security. I don't know. What's the goal? Well, before we get in into uh, the policy approach and, you know, debating and talking about how is this winnable? How so? What does winning look like? Um, I just want to scale it back a little bit because you know, we all talked about how the fact that he didn't reveal more of his military plan, but he said that that was strategic. He said, you know, I believe as a leader that we shouldn't be telling our enemies the exact dates and when we're coming in and when we're coming out. What, was, what do you say to that point? Well, I mean, he's not going to give away any details, and uh, ostensibly it's so that, you know, the enemy won't know what we're doing. But the enemy never has known what we're doing. No one has ever really come out and say, we're going to invade on this date and we're going to pull out on that date. That's a false talking point. And I believe the last time we were here, we were talking about that uh, in how it applied to Syria. And back then, uh, that was when the Mosul initiative was starting. And Donald Trump's big thing, he said that then, like we don't want to give away our plans because then they're going to run away. Meanwhile, where are you going to run away to in Mosul? It's a city in the middle of the desert. There's nothing but flatlands everywhere. You try to escape Mosul, and that's actually good. We'll see you. But, I mean, you look at 
what he said was we don't give away our plans, but then he went and went ahead and gave away as much as as, as much as he could anyhow. And and his plan seemed to be blame somebody else. So he blamed Obama for the mess, which he didn't create and in fact cleaned up a lot of. And then he he picked a fight with Pakistan. You know, that's a good point, Chad. <laughs> what? Um, you know, <laughs> no. And, and it, the irony there. So I actually I want to I want to delve into that as well to talk about like Trump strategy, because uh is it any different from what President Obama or even President Bush mm-hmm. is doing, Alyssa? Mm-hmm. Uh, or did. But, uh, did, you sorry. know, the the answer to that is, like, actually really no. Right. Um, you know, so uh, there was actually a good 538 feature on this that basically talked about the fact that even when American presidents come out and say these are the plans for Afghanistan, the plans for Afghanistan rarely ever follow the script right. um, that we engage in. I mean, if you really, you know, you want to go back. So when Obama came into office, he did this surge thing. I don't even know what the surge was supposed to accomplish either. It was to try and take back security and put it so that the Afghan security forces, which basically their military, could take control of their own security. After that surge ended, we left behind um, about... Uh, you know, but only a a few troops and some embassy personnel. Um, When Trump took office in January of 2017, which isn't that long ago, we had only 8,400 troops remaining in Afghanistan. um, And security was going, I don't want to say great, um, but it wasn't awful. um, But you were also seeing a big resurgence of ISIS now trying to move into Afghanistan. So obviously that's something that the U.S. government wanted to um, deal with. Um, and now you have a situation where he potentially wants to send in more troops, um, but I don't know if it actually deals with the issue. Um, but to your initial point, I don't know if that's any really different than any other president. Um, at the same time, like I don't want to use that in order to normalize Trump because he isn't a normal president, um, and he could do or say something that could create more issues, like not consulting Pakistan, which in theory is one of our allies, although that's sort of sketchy because... Pakistan may or may not have known where Osama bin Laden was the whole That's time. That's true, but you still don't want to call them out in front of the entire world like that. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's that's problematic um, as well. Um, and so there's a lot of different things going on. I mean, and then there also raises this question in terms of us, like, as the, at least for me, anti-war left, like, how much blood and treasure are we going to spill on this thing? Because the longer we stay there, I mean, like, I think that's their goal. Like, they want us to stay there forever, the Taliban. Well, I'm hearing a lot of people argue that if we were to just pull out, then all of the troops that died would have died in vain. That's 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 what it's I'm a, hearing. It's a false equivalence. It's yes, it, it's you. completely a false equivalence. Nobody has died in vain just because they happened to die before we ended the war. I mean, look, people would say that about soldiers in Vietnam, right? That all the soldiers that went before died in vain. What happened in Vietnam? We spilled a ton of blood and treasure and we got absolutely nothing out of it. And now Vietnam is still actually run by the communist regime, but has famously been opening up, right? President Obama went there last year. We accomplished nothing, um, but I I don't want to rehash Vietnam. That's another show. And we've actually done that show before. If you're interested in that, you can check out our archive shows on our website, www.lyvbh.com. We have a lot of archive shows. Like, do we want to get in the same situation here? I just don't think we do, and I don't think that means that anybody's died in vain. I, Like I said, I think it's a false equivalence. Well, yeah, and the other thing that needs to be said as well is let's say there are people who really do believe that all these soldiers are dying in vain. The answer is not to send more soldiers to die in vain. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I mean, this is a this is a region of the earth that's been in constant flux and constant conflict for centuries, and the 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 insertion of American troops has done nothing but like make certain parts of it worse and little parts of it better. But I mean, you may as well go out and try to empty the ocean with a shovel as opposed to send another 4,000 troops into this area that has just traditionally been a mess. Well, if we did pull out sooner rather than later, I mean, couldn't the consequences be really, really bad? Of course they will be, but I think they're going to be just as bad if we stay. Uh, There's, I mean, like... Think back. It wasn't even that long ago that Afghanistan was the flip situation that it is now, that uh, the faction that was to become the ta- the Taliban and splinter off into al-Qaeda were our allies. They met with Reagan in the White right. House because the Russians were in Afghanistan. Now it's flipped. We're in Afghanistan, and instead of the United States supplying weapons to, weapons to uh, the fighters to go against the Russians— now you have the Russians applying weapons to fighters to go against the Americans. So that adds another little extra to it, which is, oh, Russia's involved too on the sly. So who's making money from this? The answer is always to follow the money. Right. I mean, that that's exactly what it is. It's all about the money. I mean, the longer we stay in Afghanistan, the more what we're really talking about is the spending of money. And as you pointed out at the beginning, what we're talking about is these private contractors, which is if Trump has connections to these private um, contractors that do military, these people want to make money. And how are they doing it? Through war profiteering. Um, and so the longer we stay, the more money they make. So it's, it's good for the people that are in the business of war. Um, of course, it's bad for us. As he points out, you know, how many more soldiers do we want to come home in pine boxes? That's what we're talking about. At the end of the day, the cost of this is not just the trillions of dollars that we have spent. There is a human cost to this. The cost is how many young American men that some of whom have not even reached the legal age to drink in this country are going to get their parents are going to get a knock on the door saying your son's not coming home from Afghanistan. How many more of those lives do we really want? Because when we get away from the idea of money um, and we actually talk about the human cost, and it's not just the human cost of U.S. troops, because we also have all the collateral damage, all the women and children um, that have been killed in this war. Talk about famines, um, the lack of food. There's all kinds of problems going on in Afghanistan. And, you know, he says we're not nation building. And then in the next sentence of the speech, he turns around and what he actually describes us wanting to do is nation building. So, you know, it's like saying, um, I'm not wearing a sweatshirt today when you're wearing a sweatshirt and you're like, oh, this isn't a sweatshirt. You know, uh, this is um, this is a hoodie, you know, <laughs> and that's the other thing that needs to be said every time Donald Trump says anything. He is a liar. There is nothing else you can say about the man that that can come before that. He has been caught in lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. Why would we believe him? That that's a great point as well, and I definitely want to talk more about the the point on uh, nation building after we come back from this quick break. Alyssa, if you could just give the phone number. Yeah, it is 212-650-6903, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Chad R. McDonald from The Good, The Chad, and The Ugly on Facebook. So definitely follow his Facebook fan 
Facebook page there. And we are talking about the Afghanistan war. Now, I don't know if you guys heard that 30-minute speech that Donald Trump gave. Um, he read the teleprompter, lacked a lot of substance, and he basically said that I'm going to extend this war, the longest American war ever, uh, has no ending sight. And one thing that really concerns me, and I'm so glad that, you know you guys give the perspective and insight you do, if you watch mainstream media, even mainstream media that claims to be on the left, now, not Rachel Maddow, her side, but a lot of other mainstream media on MSNBC, CNN, people that have progressive talking, talking heads on their show, they're saying we need to stay there. Then they're framing it as if we were to leave, this would be a huge devastating thing. And that I really feel like they're framing public thought around this. I mean, internally, I think that Americans are tired of war. Uh, we've been here for 16 years. There, we, we hear threats of nuclear war. It's something that I think we're all very fatigued about. But it does feel like the mainstream media is pushing a certain agenda that we need to be there. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, listen, my thought on that is because the media makes money off of it. The more the media can keep, or like he said before, follow the money in terms of the privatization, but also follow the money with the media. Because as long as the media can report on what's going on there, then they are making money too, right? So they have an interest uh, in continuing to report on the conflict in Afghanistan. I really don't think it's about the security issue. Yes, of course, you know, when there's not a stable Afghan government, um, that can be have a secure state like, you know, we have in the United States, then that does create a situation where terrorism can flourish. Um, but on the same time, when you have a state that's so corrupt um, and not to say that the current president is corrupt from what I understand about the current president. And I really don't know all that much about him. He's actually, you know, decent and wants to work with the United States to try and deal with the issues. But at the same time, like he doesn't have really the kind of power or the support from the people of Afghanistan to to be able to do that. And without that, then you lead to a situation where no matter what you do, even if you had a stable state, you could end up in a situation where warlords and people like the Taliban and ISIS are going to attract people to their cause. I mean, look, you see people being attracted to their cause that even come from places that are developed places. I mean, like, look how many people um, from different countries have gone and traveled to Syria. And I don't want to derail the conversation about that, but ISIS is relevant to this conversation because that's what they're really talking about it. The media has a motive to keep people scared because fear sells and that means they can make more money. To add on to that point, Alyssa, I also, you know, I'm also very cognizant of what happens whenever there's some type of war or fear or like shock in our country. A lot of times, and we've seen this in history, uh, politicians take full advantage and they start doing things that are unconstitutional. Like sometimes they'll say yes. like, you know, protesting and rallying and demonstrating against war is only helping the enemy or you. this could even be a target of attack. And they start really rolling back the things that make America a democratic state. So that's one thing that I'm definitely paying close attention to as well. And Chad, I want to get your your thoughts on why media, government, why everyone is just so for war? Well, first of all, it needs to be said that whole liberal media thing, that's uh, more of a myth than it is a fact, uh, especially now that you have uh, something like the Sinclair Corporation that's coming in and infiltrating local news. John Oliver had a great piece on that about a month ago where uh, he showed that this uh, giant, even more right-wing than Fox News media corporation is now basically giving scripts to local news, which, like, I don't mean, like, the NBC national news, the local news from 
you know, Pleasantville, USA, somewhere else, their local TV station is now, you know, getting directives from people like Boris Epstein, who, who was a Trump advisor, and uh, they're straight up uh, telling them what to say. So that's where a lot of a lot of the media narrative is coming from, especially locally now. It's it, like that. This is your true trickle down. Uh, the other thing, too, is you look at even MSNBC, and uh, no matter how much uh, we try to think that the MSNBC network is is leaning liberal, and yes, it is, you look at it now and who they're bringing in. They tried to bring in, um, what is it, uh, Greta? They yeah, brought in Greta, Greta and yep. it didn't work out. It got rejected. They're really working hard to make Megyn Kelly a big thing. Megyn Kelly, who says Santa Claus and Jesus were white, <laughs> is going to be on the Today Show in September. Yeah. What? How did that happen? They're bringing in Hugh Hewitt to talk in the morning. Hugh Hewitt, a conservative right-wing straight-up nut job, is on MSNBC. So, the, you know, the whole left-leaning media thing is more of a myth than it is a fact. It's just the simple fact that because Rachel Maddow is so hugely popular right now, People think, oh, MSNBC, that's a liberal network. That's not as true as you would think. There are some good journalists out there. Stephanie Rule has been doing some fantastic work. But, um, yeah, I mean, and the, the, the media is not as liberal as people think. And they do get directives from right wings. And they've messed up a lot when it comes to framing narratives. I mean, they really were complicit in Trump winning uh, they spent all let, just a little over half an hour on the entire campaign trail talking about the issues that Hillary stood for, and the rest was about her emails. And isn't Donald Trump hilarious? So <laughs> yeah. they're doing a great job now at kind of pushing back on him, but they sort of got us got us into this mess as well. You know, I mean, you just raised an interesting point though that I think we should address. Um, you know, which is like, what would have Hillary done? What would Hillary have done if she was president? Um, and whether or not she also would have sent additional troops into Afghanistan, because remember, at least in part of the issue on the left um, and in ter- somewhat on the far left was that Hillary was um, very hawkish and she was a warmonger. Yeah. Right. Um, and that, you know, Trump, you know, obviously we knew that he had the tendencies for that. Um, but it also is interesting um, to see whether, you know, to ask the question or at least raise the question, would Hillary have also sent troops in? And I have to say, I think the answer is yes. Um, that said, I also think she would have sent troops in um, in a way that she she was like more stable of a person. I mean, a whole lot more stable of a person yeah. with some kind of strategy. But at the end of the day, I think the outcome probably would have been the same, which is it raises to our last question. Like, is this actually a winnable war? And what does that strategy look like? Right. And what's and- funny, too, is, uh, you know, it just realized, too, if she if Hillary had sent troops in, she wouldn't have called a big announcement. To say she's sending troops in while saying, you know, it's ter- it's so bad that we have these announcements so people know what they're doing. She, she wouldn't have done that. It would have been on the sly at least. I agree that more than likely, you know, she's been hawkish in her politics. I think she would have sent troops in. But I think we could have held her accountable more so because if it was progressives, people on the left, people who love Bernie Sanders, but were like, fine, I'll vote for Hillary just to vote against Trump. Then and and, and we were her base then I think she would at least respond to the base. I mean, I'll say this. Donald Trump responds and panders to his base like he's still on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. 
if we had somebody in office that's pandered to us on the left and progressives, I think we would be getting a lot done. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that, that he panders to his base, but he's not pandering to his base in here. This, right? In this because he instance. ran on this whole thing of, like, we need to get out of Afghanistan. America should put America first and should not get into these conflicts. You know, he famously said, like, no, basically no war in Syria, which is a left position for the most part. Um, and that, you know, we were not going to spend any more uh, of American treasure and blood dealing with these conflicts. And then he gets into office and obviously he realizes that the reality of the situation doesn't necessarily match up with his campaign promises. But nonetheless, instead of addressing that fact directly, this is the one thing where he's trying to slip past his supporters to the fact that it's not matching up. When in reality, he could have come out and said, hey, guys, listen, you know, I know I said those things, but now I've actually gotten into office and I've gotten all this information and I've gotten briefed on the security situation on the ground and I'm realizing like the things I said that's not really going to work out we actually have to do something but he's not doing he, that he did say that I mean speech. yeah he framed uh, it in the, he read the teleprompter I mean and he kind of framed it like yes that. and no I mean yeah, but I'll give him a day and he'll say the other thing <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> I mean but like at the end of the day the fact of the matter is like what happened to those positions because like in some ways Somebody who was a Bernie voter, you know, they talk about all these Bernie voters or not necessarily Bernie voters, people who were not going to vote for Hillary that may have voted for Obama that then decided to vote for Trump. And I'm sure that there's at least some of them, um, maybe not a lot, but a handful of them that this issue was one of their issues, which was Trump said he was going to get us out of the war. Hillary was probably going to keep us in the war. And now here we are. You know, yes, Trump is a liar, but this is just one more thing that he said he was going to do that he didn't do. And, you know, that's not really anything surprising. Guys, if you want to chime into the conversation, call us up at 212-650-6903. Chad, did you have something to add? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, just to come, uh, just to build upon what uh, Alyssa, the, the foundation that Alyssa has set up here, I mean, Trump has lied about everything. He's lied about the wall. He's lied about no war. He's lied about everything. The only thing that he said were true have come true indirectly. For example, he said that if you voted for Hillary, you would get a cabinet full of Goldman Sachs, you would get a president under FBI investigation, and you would get World War III. So America voted for Hillary. Now we have a president (laughs) with a cabinet of Goldman Sachs under FBI investigation who's probably going to start World War III. Yeah, you know what? The irony here. It's laughable, but it's sad and depressing and extremely disheartening, just like this war in Afghanistan. Uh, Before we wrap up this conversation, you know, I want to talk about what's at stake here. I mean, uh, uh, back after 9-11 happened, a lot of things changed drastically, especially in our young lives. Like, you know, I'm 29. Um, I'm millennial and I still remember uh, how TSA changed, right? How NSA changed, how we started having like these debates over surveillance versus security. Things weren't always like this. Like I wasn't always scared or I didn't always have family members who were scared to get on the trains because we're afraid of like a bombing, right? And I feel like we're hypersensitive to uh, security and to the point where it's almost And a lot of times uh, compromises our civil rights and our civil liberties. Now, this war is continuing to go on. I said it to say what's continually at stake here in Afghanistan. And I also want to get you guys opinion on what 
winning would look like. Anyway, so yeah, what would winning look like? I, I honestly don't know. What would, in th- reality, what winning would look like would be um, Afghanistan having a stable government that is a democracy, that people actually vote, and the people they vote for actually become elected, um, and that they also have uh, troops and security forces that are able to secure their country the way the military here is able to, in theory, secure ours, although nothing's perfect, um, and also a way for them to have have a working justice system because at the end of the day, the rule of law and the justice system is what is able to root out the terrorists, right? You know, in America, um, if you, in theory, are caught committing a crime, you know, unless you're Joe Arpaio, um, then you may actually have to face some consequences for doing that. But when you have a situation where there is no court system, there is no rule of law, there is no stable government, then you can't bring those people to justice. And so then you have all these terrorist organizations, ISIS, Taliban, all these people that can just come into Afghanistan um and they can run around and do whatever they want and behead whoever they want and there's no consequences whatsoever and that emboldens them um at the same time you also have a situation where you don't really have a working economy um and you know that's sort of a side conversation so i think the win- the winning strategy um would be like I don't know. A winning strategy, they would have to have a stable, if, if not, a, they're not going to have a first world country, but a stable second world developing country that has the kind of government that can hold people accountable and expel terrorists and, um, you know, send people to jail that commit crimes and, uh, you know, in, help to get the economy moving um, without those things happening. And those things I can tell you, are not going to happen just by sending a bunch of extra troops in, um, then you are not really going to see a solution. And so that leads us back into the conversation about nation building. Because at the end of the day, if the American government isn't going to put in the time and the effort to actually build the nation, which, side note, I don't even think works, um, and we sort of see that in Iraq, which is um, part of Iraq is still under siege by ISIS. Um, and so even the nation building we, didn't, we did in Iraq didn't really work. Um, but, you know, there has to be an experiment in self-governance that has to be undertaken by people in Afghanistan that are able to make it work. And at the end of the day, we can continue to throw money and we can continue to throw bodies at this. Um, But, you know, we sort of caused some of these problems and we're not doing anything right now to fix it by just sending more troops in. Um, That is not necessarily dealing with the problem. I don't know if nation building is going to deal with the problem either. Um, at the end of the day, this may be one of those situations where we have to just do what we did in Vietnam, which is pull the Band-Aid off, get the hell out of there and, you know, let them try and sort it out for themselves. And if you look at Vietnam, what ended up happening was it wasn't the outcome that we necessarily wanted. But at the end of the day, they sorted it out. And now Vietnam is becoming a developing country. I don't know if that could happen in Afghanistan, um, but I don't know if it makes sense for us to continue to stay there because otherwise I think we're just going to be there forever and this war is never going to end. Chad? Chad, is this war winnable and what would winning look like? Well, my answer is very simple and probably very depressing. When 9-1-1 happened is why we went into Afghanistan. That's why young men across the country signed up in the military to go fight bin Laden. It was all about getting the people who committed the 9-1-1 act. Obama killed bin Laden. That victory was achieved. Why are we still there? Why we're still there, and this is what Alyssa was saying, which I agree with, is along the way, that narrative about getting the terrorists, stopping the people who took those American lives, got hijacked. We ended up in Iraq. From Iraq, you had ISIS, you had mess, 
It just continued. It compounded. The United States lost its way. That's why Trump's no more war in Syria, no more war in Afghanistan. That's why it resonated, because that's, I think, what the, what the average person, no matter what their political persuasion in the country feels like. Like, all we've done is made more terrorists. That's all that's happened here. And there is no, like Alyssa said it, you've got to take that Band-Aid off. We've got to get out of there. We're making it worse. We, were, we went in there originally to kill the terrorists. We, we killed the terrorists. We got them. Why are we still there? And it's going to be to privatize, to now do the imperialistic thing and uh, take resources. So that's not the winning way. That's just going to create more terrorists. I agree to that point, guys. And, you know, Chad, you made some great points about, you know, what the damage that we caused there. Um, I would almost feel horrible if we were just like to leave this country, like on a humanitarian level. Um, when you look at the statistics, Afghanistan actually has one of the lowest literacy rates in the world at 31 uh, percent. Half of the children there are suffering from food insecurity. Um, there's and, and I think that this instability only causes more destruction, more violence, and that's, we know, this is what causes people to join the ranks with the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and mm-hmm. ISIS. Yeah. So I think that if we're not there to help build infrastructure, roads, schools, we are only going to be hurting this country even more, and in turn hurting us, because what does ISIS want to do? They want to attack, um, I mean, not, not so much... Um, us here in America, uh, in America, on American soil, but they do inspire these lone wolves to happen to uh, to actually take attack on our land. So I think that if we are, I know Trump said we're not going uh, to nation build, but I feel like to just leave that country there and to create more instabi- instability is going to hurt the children there, and it's going to hurt us in turn. So like I know this is not an easy answer. Uh, this is not an easy war. It's nuanced, but I think. If we have the money and the resources to get our country, I mean, to get private U.S. companies in there, why not give back? Like, why not try? Because that immediately gets turned back upon us by the right wing as, oh, why are we giving them money? They're attacking us. That's what happens, unfortunately, with the push and pull with with the partisan struggle and right now in Washington. I agree with you. Yeah. That's what we should do. We need to help their infrastructure and create education, not only for ourselves, but for them as well. But- Every time we try, we get people like Trump that go, why are we giving them money? They're just attacking us. And meanwhile, he's praising white supremacists. Right. And, you know, the last thing I think I need to say about that is when we're spending so much money elsewhere, it's money we're not spending at home. Tupac famously said, we always have money for war, but we never have money to feed the poor. You know, let's bring some of that money home and feed the people here in America that need to be fed. On that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're going to be jumping into the news roundup, some of our favorite stories of the week. And then later on in the show, we will be talking about Donald Trump's fight ongoing feud with the right stay tuned this is let your voice be heard and we are back this is let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem my name is selena hill i'm here with my co-host Alyssa fuchs and we have political pundit chad r mcdonald from the facebook fan page the good the chad and the ugly filling in for both jackie and stanley doing an amazing job (laughs) apparently you can so guys we just wrapped up a pretty disheartening conversation about afghanistan 
Um, but then again, we do have Trump running the country now, and he's the leader of the free world. So I'm pr- I'm almost 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 used to how depressing news is every single week. Uh, but now we're going to talk about some of our favorite news stories of the week. Some good, some bad, some made us laugh, some made us cry. And of course, if you want to chime in and talk about some of your favorite news stories, feel free to give us a call at 212-650-6903. So even though Stanley Fritz is not here today, he is a member of the New York Justice League, and the New York Justice League has been doing a remarkable work when it comes to uh, standing up for Colin Kaepernick. Now, a few weeks ago, we actually talked about Colin Kaepernick and why... Because he took a knee, now he is being blacklisted from the NFL. And what we should do as NFL supporters or none, we need to make sure we need to let our voices be heard by turning off NFL, stop buying their apparel, stop supporting them unless they can support players that simply speak out for what's right. And especially for things that affect brown and black communities. I mean, he's Colin Kaepernick is just saying, you know what? A lot of black and brown folks are dying while they're unarmed. I'm going to engage in a silent protest and look at this, right? So uh, this past Wednesday, the New York Justice League hosted a huge rally here in New York City. They had a number of speakers come out and just just really uh, galvanize people around this issue. So um, Stanley, I'm pretty sure he was there. He or, was there. Oh, yeah. were you there, Chad? No, he was there. I wanted to be there, but uh, he was there, and he wrote actually a pretty brilliant piece about oh, the whole thing. On the Huffington Post, that's yeah, true. Yeah, true, yeah. So we can talk about that when, when, when you're ready. But Oh, yeah, yeah no, let's was, talk about it. No, um, Stanley, I, I wish you were here, and I hope you're listening to this, because uh, uh, regular listeners of the show, you all know who Stanley is. Um, if you did not see his piece about Colin Kaepernick, it is brilliant. You really need to do a look it up. I did share it to uh, The Good, The Chat, and The Ugly and to several different Facebook pages. I thought it was that good. Um, what he talked about was how Colin Kaepernick um, in 20 years or so is going to be looked upon as a hero. Uh, we are seeing the same thing that happened to uh, to Colin uh, that uh, what happened to Muhammad Ali when he refused to uh, go fight a white man's war back in the day. 20 years from now, there's going to be people here in New York who cheer for the San Francisco Niners simply because Colin Kaepernick did what he did. And uh, we're going to see a huge rewriting of history. All these people who said, oh, no, I totally supported him uh, when they absolutely did not. The same way we're going to see people saying, oh, no, I never voted for Donald Trump when they absolutely did. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, Yeah, no, Stanley's piece actually is really good. Anyways, I'm not going to weigh in on that because uh, there are some really concerning reports coming out of Texas right now that um, I want to address. So apparently uh, there are some two really concerning reports that have to do with Donald Trump and with ICE, which is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The first store. Oh, so actually, I should go back. There's a huge hurricane um, going on in Texas, Hurricane Harvey. Um, you know, people have been tracking it. Uh, so far, there. Um, I have not heard of any reported fatalities, but then um, I suppose uh, there is some people that I have heard that 
potentially have died, but I have not heard the numbers yet. I heard one person died, and he he died in a house fire. Um, that said, there are some really concerning reports coming out of Texas with respect to ICE, uh, which is number one. ICE apparently did not shut down their checkpoints, so there was uh, people who potentially were undocumented who were being told to leave because it was very, very dangerous, and they were scared to leave because they were concerned they were going to get picked up by Immigration and Customs Enforcement. That's absolutely unacceptable. During a national disaster, um, you know, I should not be out there trying to apprehend people because at the end of the day, we don't want people to get killed because they stay back um, due to the fact that they're worried about getting apprehended by ICE. And number two, and this is even a more concerning story, and I haven't been able to confirm uh, many of the details yet, but apparently ICE uh, held some uh, people that they had detained at a bus station, and then they told the bus station to evacuate, and everybody evacuated from the bus station, and ICE just left these people there. A group of undocumented women and children were apparently just abandoned at a bus station. Um, I don't have a lot more information about that at the moment, but there are definitely reports about it. I've seen it come up on Twitter a few times. If we do get more information about it, then we'll try and fill you in. But I have a feeling that's a story that is only going to get bigger. You know what? This national crisis reminds me of what happened in Flint, Michigan. Uh, After that that water was poisoned by their government, a number of immigrants did not accept any aid uh, from workers, from people who were giving out clean bottles of water so that they can have drinking water and bathing water that wouldn't hurt or harm their, or harm their bodies. And they wouldn't open up the doors because we live in this state of paranoia, paranoia and like everybody is so petrified that, they're, that they don't know who is knocking on the door and they feel like they're going to be like, you know, taken away from their families. And, like, even when I went to Chicago and I was speaking to people, I don't know if this man was documented or not, but I saw the fear in his eyes and the fear in the tone of his voice when he talked about living in this day and age. Mm-hmm. They, and it's like they they won't go to the hospital. They won't report cases of domestic abuse. They won't report real crimes that would help our communities because they're scared of being separated from their families. And it's such a shame. It's absolutely unacceptable as well. Uh, this is the this is the trap that uh, everyone keeps falling into as well with Donald Trump. Uh, the media do it. I do it. We've all done it. We've been doing it here this very show is we're paying so much attention to what he's saying that we're not watching what his administration is doing. And um, while we're waiting on confirmation for these ICE stories, I have to say, you know, that's the kind of thing. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's why Alyssa brought it up. That rings true. This is exactly the kind of thing that's been going on. ICE has been committing raids right here in New York. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is this is he campaigned upon this whole let's kick out the brown people. And now here he is doing it. I mean, normal people run for cover from a hurricane. Donald Trump is using the hurricane to cover what he's doing to normal people. It's so, horrible. Just to horrible. give you some more details on that that I'm now getting from BuzzFeed, which is apparently federal immigration authorities left about 50 immigrant women and children. Most of them were asylum seekers from Central America. They were stranded at a downtown San Antonio bus station after service was canceled. Um, and apparently ICE just dropped them off as if uh, and the women and children um, had been released from family detention. They were being dropped off to potentially go back to, uh, you know, somewhere or be bused to somewhere else. And they were released without any money 
without any spell phones. Most of them don't speak English. And apparently ICE is not returning requests for comment. Um, but they did then issue a joint statement with Customs and Border Patrol saying that safety was their highest priority. But again, as you point out, what people are saying, what's actually happening are two different things. I mean, literally, while this is all going on, Donald Trump right now is tweeting about Sheriff David Clark. Um, and he's also tweeting about NAFTA. He sent out a few tweets this morning about the hurricane, which basically could be summed up as I have the biggest hurricanes. I have the hugest and greatest yeah, hurricanes. That's literally what? because this is presidential behavior. You know? It sounds like he's comparing it to his penis. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Which we all know is probably small because his hands are small and his ego is huge. Yeah. So that means yes, as of a small well, penis, thing, allegedly. The other thing, too, with everything that's going on with ICE, with everything that's going on with the Middle East, he's all about talking about stopping terrorists. But that's not at all what he's doing. He's doing the exact opposite. He is not doing anything about the white supremacists, neo-Nazi, KKK rallies. He, in fact defended them. It only took extreme pressure for him to come out and not do that. But now you look at what he's done here with the with the ICE and dropping off these undocumented asylum seekers in a bus station. America! This is how you create terrorists. This oh. is how you do it. You don't you don't give refugees access. If I'm if I'm like trying to escape a war-torn country and I'm stopped at your country's border and I'm not allowed in because a white guy like me shot nine people in a church a couple years ago. I will, and my family dies because of this. I will dedicate the rest of my life to opposing your state. This is how you create terrorists by abusing women and children and refusing refugees and asylum seekers to find the safety that they're, they they yeah, require. And, and, and I definitely want to add this because uh, Alyssa mentioned that a lot of them are from Central America. You know, when Donald Trump started campaigning, he talked about how all of these immigrants are coming from Mexico and they're drug lords and they're rapists. When actually the facts show that people aren't migrating from Mexico as much, it, they actually stopped coming here because the country is becoming just a little bit more stable, but they are coming from Central American countries. And the reason why is because these countries are infiltrated by drugs, crime, and gangs. And the reason why they uh, th these gang lords and, and, and this crime criminal activity has taken over these communities is because of the war on drugs, the war on drugs that America has started. We're creating so it. exactly, so we are creating it. This is just a result of something we created. If we really wanted these people to stop seeking asylum in our country, we would go over there and try to fix the mess that we started. They don't have jobs, they don't have education, they don't have income, and a lot of them are just seeking safety. And what we're doing is we're just pushing them back, which is horrible. And this is not what America supposed to stand for. Listen, you know, not not just that we create we, we created this problem through the war on drugs, but we were inevitably involved in the war on drugs. I mean, people want to talk about that as a conspiracy. That's not a conspiracy. The CIA and the DEA were in South America. We had a hand in perpetuating the war on drugs mm -hmm. through our intelligence agencies. So it's not just a situation where we're fighting the war on drugs. We were actively involved in this. Um, and now these people are literally in countries trying to come here, as you point out, and we treat them like crap um, when they're only trying to seek asylum like that. That is usually problematic. If you have a question or a comment about this, call us up. This is WHCR 90.3 FM. It's 212-650-6903. Chad? Yeah, well, I mean, just to, just both of you are exactly right. 
Um, but the other thing, too, what's getting skipped over on all of this is the most dangerous thing to Americans are big white are not big, but white men like me. White guys, especially Christians, are easily the most dangerous thing about American domestic terrorist attacks have far outnumbered Islamic attacks. Um, this is not to say one religion is better than the other, anything like that. But we saw it in Charlottesville with Trump deflecting from how dangerous the KKK and the white supremacists were. There was a guy caught in Oklahoma City who was trying to recreate the bombing. Uh, there, uh, there are shootings every day. Um, you have uh, people of color gunned down by the police. And uh, that's just it. I mean, over and over again, it's white men who are the actual dangers, people who are already here. Those are the people like what? There's like almost 100 people a day die from gun violence. And we're worried about the opioid crisis that is almost on par with the, with the gun violence uh, 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 thing. And nobody's talking about gun violence unless there's a big high profile mass shooting. Yep. The dangerous people that Trump is is trying to fearmonger about are the ones he's not talking about and they're the ones who look like him. Yeah, and they're part of his base. Chad is absolutely right. The face of domestic terrorism in our country happens to be white cis males and they also happen to be the KKK. But yeah. I do want to switch gears to a lighter note. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it, but SNL did a brilliant skit on uh, Donald Trump speaking in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And he actually, they actually had Keenan um, playing the black guy that supports Trump. <laughs> William the black guy, yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right. So I have a little clip of that. I want to play that, and then we can talk about that here. Hold on. Thank you. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you. Wow, how about that eclipse, folks, huh? <laughs> Now, a lot of people don't know this, but you can damage your eyes while looking at an eclipse. No one predicted this. They couldn't have. I figured it out all by myself. Let me take these glasses off and see what you people look like, okay? Wow, everyone's so white, so white here. It's fantastic. And look, they found the one black guy at the rally, and they sat him right behind me. Now, because of the eclipse, I can't tell. Are you really black? Well, that's what the ad said you was looking for. Okay. All right, guys, so that was just a little clip of the SNL skit of Donald Trump's rally in Phoenix, which was absolutely brilliant, and it was hilarious. Um, I want to say, so SNL announced that they'll be back, I think it's September 30th, uh, and some people, the uh, person headlining happens to be Jay-Z. Uh, he's going to be opening up the show. Well, he's going to be on the opening of the show once once the show comes back. And I happen to also watch a really uh, a great interview that... Alex, um, Alec Baldwin did on Democracy Now! And he talked about how even though we all love him playing Donald Trump and it brings some humor to this depressing state of our government and time, he hates it. And he was like, I, it's, he doesn't really like it. He doesn't like the fact that he has to play something that is so real but still also so disheartening at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, but I think it's something that we all need. Like, we can talk about the distress and and how all the things that are going wrong, all these isms in our country, which are being perpetuated now actually by our government. But I do think that that little dose of humor and laughter, it feels good sometimes. No, I think it does. I think it does. Um, you know, it's it's always good to, to laugh. But at the same time, like, you know, we 
we don't want to get distracted. Like, you know, it's good to laugh. You have to let it off. I love SNL for that reason. I love that they satirize people. I actually hope that they satirize the mooch, even though he's gone. Oh, yeah, I think good. that's going to be great. I also hope that Melissa McCarthy comes back and that they do Sean Spicer resigning yeah. um, and that they cover all the things that they've been missing. Um, but at the same time, you know, even in the fun, keep your eye on the ball. I think that's the most important thing. Well, this to- this also ties back into what we were talking about with the media and, and their complicity in the, in in this entire mess as well because don't forget Saturday Night Live had Trump host during oh, the yes. campaign that's true that's they did. true so yeah. you know what this is the very least they can do oh, is, oh do you not like playing Trump Alec Baldwin too bad get out there in front of the camera and do it because <laughs> your company helped help normalize him someone get someone call Jimmy Fallon to ruffle his hair again Right. You know, and like, listen, not for nothing, um, you know, he's getting paid for playing Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, like he's making money off and he's, of it. He's doing a great Nobody job. paying too. me to do this. Exactly. Um, I, if somebody wants to pay me to dress up like Donald Trump and make fun of him, I will. Um, before we finish out, I just wanted to give you a few headlines from the news this week that I think are like important that we should be paying attention to. So in Texas, um, the courts have said that the new maps that they drew are also still too gerrymandered and they have to be with they have to be redrawn. Um, you also have Gorka resigning this week. Uh, you have news coming out that Obamacare is officially not collapsing, which is <laughs> really good news. Uh, <laughs> resigning, yes, yeah, slash being forced out. He was out. on vacation. Um, and, you know, so, uh, yeah, he was on vacation and resigned. So there's there's been a lot of other things going in the news, uh, on in the news this week. Some good, some bad, uh, some a mixed bag. Yeah, and also Steve Bannon last week, he... I don't know if he resigned or he was forced out. It, it was a lot of yeah. Everybody, quote unquote, resigned. Um, yeah. So apparently Mike Pence has won this season of uh, Survivor. <laughs> yeah, it feels like the president every day. It's like every week Trump is firing somebody else from his camp. Oh, you mean it's like yeah. Oprah, right? You're fired. You're fired. Yeah. You're fired. You get a firing. It's, you get a firing. You get a firing. Apprentice. Presidential apprentice. That's it's all horrible. this is. It's horrible, guys. Uh, the, the, oh, wait, wait. The instability is just astounding. You yeah. mean the president's an apprentice, right? That's what I thought. Yeah, okay, yeah. The I apprentice president's that, right? apprentices. apprentices. Oh, I can't even say it. Oh, my God. It's horrible. <laughs> so, guys, also, I don't know if you guys had uh, if you guys had a chance to catch that Bill Maher skit. He's getting a lot of flack for fat shaming. Um, apparently, guys, he was uh, he, he his uh, real time was riddled with fat jokes. He said things like obesity is the main reason people wear sweatpants in public. And among the shaming police, your body is perfect just the way it is <laughs> prone on a gurney. Um, so the, the obesity action coalition actually came out. And have been uh, protesting against Bill Maher. I mean, you know, I kind of jumped on that bandwagon a few months ago when he used the N-word. Um, Here's the thing about Bill Maher. Like, Bill Maher doesn't... Oh, no, you forgive him for fat shaming, too? Breaking no, Bill Maher say... is a jerk. <laughs> um, you know, no, no, that's what I was just about to say. Like, here's the thing about Bill Maher. Bill Maher's a jerk. Bill Maher knows he's a jerk. Bill Maher's not going to stop being a jerk because that is his brand of comedy. And so either you are going to listen to him, watch him, buy his, watch his show, buy his tickets, um, and support him in that manner, or you're going to say, listen, I don't think this guy should get my money. I don't agree with these things. I'm not going to watch his show I'm not going to buy tickets to go see him live I mean like at the end of the day like Bill Maher is a comedian he's going to say outlandish things he's going to say offensive outlandish things that offend people and this is one of those situations where um, you know like if you don't like it 
turn it off. Don't watch it. Don't support him by giving him your money. And I'm sorry, but can we do a thing like where liberals can stop apologizing for offending people? Like the look at Fox News at any day. You want fat jokes? Go to, they're disgusting. And on top of that, and all the men. talking about that. Nobody's talking about that. All the men keep going up on charges for sexual assault or sending pictures of their junk to women unsolicited. I mean, but you, I mean, it takes so much to take down someone on the right wing for doing it. Look at Bill O'Reilly, 17 years. Look at Donald he Trump. He went on, on, on Donald Trump <laughs> became could, president. He, Donald so Trump said he could Kat, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue yeah. and uh, and people would still vote for him and he's probably Kathy Griffin right. Griffin holds up a bloody mannequin head. Was that in bad taste? Yes. Did she deserve to do a tearful apology and two days later? No. She should have stood by it. She should have right. went, no, I'll do it again. All right, so we're going to have to leave it there, guys. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be Speaking more about this dysfunction by our president, our commander in chief. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. My name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and Chad R. McDonald. We just had a great conversation about the war in Afghanistan. Then we had the news roundup. Um, we're on WHCR 90.3 FM. If you want to call or uh, chime in on this conversation, it is 212-650-6903. So you may have heard about this huge, huge fight um, that happened. And no, I'm not talking about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Oh, that's what I thought you were talking about, because that um, was a good match. I am talking about Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. So Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell right now are having a huge feud. This started when Donald Trump started berating Mitch McConnell over Twitter about the health care failure and yelling at him and saying that like they couldn't get anything done. And then he blamed Democrats, but then he went back to play, blaming Mitch McConnell. And apparently this has now escalated into a bigger fight about funding the border wall, raising the debt ceiling, and whether or not the government is going to default on its bills. Um, So the Treasury Department has said that the debt ceiling needs to be raised by September 29th in order for the U.S. government to avoid a potential default on our government obligations, including Social Security and an interest payment. Uh, Basically, there is two ways to do this and to avoid economic catastrophe. The first way to do this is through what's called a clean debt ceiling bill, which is basically just a bill that says we are going going to raise the debt ceiling, meaning that we are allowed to borrow more money um, in order for us not to default on our debts um, and our obligations, which would be really, really, really bad. Um, the other way that it can be done is through a debt ceiling raise that also has other provisions, which is like when Republicans want to get something done, so they try and stick these other things into a different bill that has nothing to do um, with the thing they want to get done. Like, for example, they want to say that like the government shouldn't fund abortions, even though the government already doesn't fund abortions. So they'll put that kind of thing in a debt ceiling bill because, you know, abortions, they have everything to do with the debt ceiling. Um, But that's just an example. And so that's one of the things that you could see happening. And the reason why I'm talking about this is one of the things that um, Donald Trump has said that he wants to be in either the budget or in the debt ceiling bill is funding for his racist monument. I mean, the border wall. Um, And so unless Trump and Congress can come to some kind of negotiation and pass a law, um, and actually raise this bill, then we will run out of money. It will trigger the first modern U.S. default. um, And in turn, it would also threaten the world economy. A default would also crack the world's faith in the United States' ability to pay its bills. 
Yes, it would make 2008 look like a recess, as Chad just pointed out, um, and it would uh, serve to underpin the entire global financial system. Now, the administration has sent sort of a divided message about how to proceed on this. On one hand, you have uh, the secretary, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, telling Congress to pass a simple debt increase as soon as possible that is not linked to everything else. That is the so-called clean increase, while Mick Mulvaney, Trump's budget director, has been hinting to conservatives that they should push for spending cuts um, by threatening to withhold their votes on the debt ceiling increase and, you know, also not just spending cuts on other things, but also using this border wall. Um, This also leads to a situation about a possible government shutdown, uh, because if we default on the debt and we also are are not going to be able to pass a budget, then what's going to happen? Well, we're going to have a government shutdown like we saw it in the last time. And of course, this is all maximized by the fact that Uh, Republicans run everything and Republicans basically cannot govern. um, And they've shown that through their failure to pass any health care bill, which has actually been good for us. So I'm all good with the failure to govern. Um, And now there's this question about whether or not Democrats are going to have to come to their rescue, essentially, and also whether or not they should. Um, But before we get into talking about the Democrats, I wanted to get your guys' initial reaction uh, about this. Um, What do you think? Were you surprised by what is going on? Did you kind of expect this to happen? Um, I'll go to Chad first on that one. Yeah, no, this is this is exactly what we thought would happen. I mean, anyone who's been paying even a little bit of attention to politics during the era of Obama uh, knows that uh, obstructing government and actually running government are two very opposite things. And so now what we've got are is the party of no in charge of everything. And what do you know? The party of no can't do anything. Republicans have been famously um, useless. Uh, in government, even with the majority, even with, what, seven years now on repeal and repeal Obamacare, they still can't even get that done. So uh, the only thing that they were able to do uh, was plug in somebody into the Supreme Court. And the only reason they were able to do that was because Mitch McConnell stole that seat. Mitch McConnell is going to go down in history as the man who broke American politics. Without him, you don't get Trump. And the only accomplishment that uh, Republicans have managed to pull off is stealing a seat from the Supreme Court. Other than that, they haven't done anything. Well, you know what? Actually, Attorney Attorney General Sessions, you got to watch what he's doing. He is eating up civil liberties at a rate of like 20, 30 a day. So that's the only thing that's actually being uh, uh, being done is uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the civil rights move, um, civil rights advancements that were that were uh, achieved under Obama. Uh, are being eaten up and reversed by Sessions. Other than that, nothing. Selena? Uh, two, two things. I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. Like, number one, we just talked about Neil Gorsuch and the fact that that was the only thing that President Trump was able to get accomplished. He got that accomplished because of Mitch McConnell. Stole and Mitch seat. McConnell did not steal the seat and then stall that process, the democratic process of, of, of uh, electing a new Supreme Court justice, then Donald Trump wouldn't even have his pick and be able to take victory from it. So he's attacking the man that helped him get his only victory. And I'll say this, another reason why I'm not too surprised, there's so many fractions within the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Like you have the Tea Party, you have the super conservatives, you have the halfway liberal, the halfway moderate minded people there. I like mean, three of them. Yeah. So and we've covered that extensively here on Let Your Voice Be Heard about the internal fighting that's been happening in 
the Republican Party, so much so that they got uh, John Boehner oisted. They got, um, what was the, Eric Cantor kicked out. So, yeah. I mean, you see the, in, the, the fighting internally on this right. So I'm not surprised. The only, the only two Republicans that have really accomplished anything, John McCain got all the credit for it, were the two women, the senator from Maine, Maine. Collins, yep. and the senator from Alaska. Murkowski. Murkowski, who basically held up the skinny repeal and stopped it from happening. So they've achieved something, but that's been for the American people and that has not fit the Republican agenda and they've paid for it because Trump has been attacking them ever since. Right. And you know, the other thing, speaking of Trump attacking people, this is the other thing. Trump's not helping himself by constantly going on Twitter and berating some of the people he actually needs. Like he literally spent all week um, berating Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee and making critical comments on him. Like these are people's votes that he's going to need. Part of this is because while Republicans Republicans don't understand how to govern because they've spent the past eight years being the party of no, as you point out. And when you constantly are just opposing President Obama's agenda for eight years, then you forget that when you're in charge, you actually have to get stuff done. You can't just say no, no, no. But part of this is also that Trump doesn't know the rules of politics and the rules of the game because why? Trump is not a politician. So Trump doesn't realize that he is literally berating the very people that he's going to need their votes. Um, And at the end of the day, that's going to become hugely problematic. Um, in terms of what's going to happen next, because if these Republicans, if Trump wants to get anything done and these Republicans don't want to work with him um, and they don't want to put, put his agenda forward, or even if they just want to screw him, they could be like, ah, you know what, you're going to berate me on Twitter. I'm not going to help you. And when Mueller comes from him, for him, if Mueller comes from him, the only people who can protect him at that point is Congress, because they're the ones who would ultimately be in charge of the impeachment proceedings, although I don't want to digress too far. Um, and so he needs Congress almost more than they need him. Oh, Mueller, you know please hurry up, Mueller. <laughs> this is exactly why I think Donald Trump is still mentally on the campaign trail. Like, he always talks about his election victory, he continues to use campaign slogans, and he continues to attack the Republican establishment. That's what won him this seat in the office. Apparently, this is what his base really like. So I think what he's doing right now is, again, just pandering to that base. And he's attacking the very people he needs to work with, but the people that voted for him, Trump supporters, like it. I think that they don't see it as obstruction. They see it as a disruptor. And they love the fact that Donald Trump is disrupting Washington. But you know what's going to happen? Nothing is going to be done, and it's going to be to the detriment of us all. Right. Well, you I mean, can't you can't run the country with only a third of the country supporting you, and Donald Trump barely has that. I mean, it's not just a disruption in Washington; it's a disruption in any everything. If we default on the debt, that's going to affect every American. If we do not pass a budget, or well, we haven't passed a budget in a long time, but if we don't at least pass a stopgap budget measure to be able to continue to fund the government, we're going to have a government shutdown, and that's going to affect everybody. Um, you know, like so, if if Mexico doesn't pay for the wall. And we have to pay for the wall. Um, well, that we shouldn't even have anyway. But if but Mexico's not going to pay for the wall, by the way. So you've been lied to if you think yeah. they are. Um, so when Mexico doesn't pay for the wall and then we have to pay for the wall, then we also have additional issues because Republicans have spent the past eight years complaining about what? The debt and the deficit. And they also want to do tax cuts. Well, guess what? You can't pay for a trillion dollar border wall and also give rich people tax cuts because basic economics does not work like that. If you do not have money coming in, then you cannot be spending money. So then you get in a situation where we're then going to be back in a recession because this is exactly what happened 
under the Bush tax cuts, which is when you cut, you can't t- tax cut yourself out of a problem. And if you're going to spend money, you have to have money coming in. So if you have any comments about this, you should give us a call at 212-650-6903. But before I go to chat, I just want to point out, we have come a long way since 2016, because in 2016, it was Mexico is going to pay for the border wall. And now in 2017, it's you're going to pay for the border wall. And by y'all, I mean Americans. And if you don't, I'm going to shut down the government and you're going to pay for that, too. Um, and so at the end of the day, like, does Donald Trump represent the American people or uh, does he represent Russia? <laughs> Chad, who's going to pay for the wall? Maybe Mexico. Russia should pay for the wall. Mexa, Mex, me. <laughs> You just get rid of all those other letters and stick with the first two in Mexico, me. Well, I mean, it's the theme we just keep coming back to. Donald Trump lies. It's what he does. He's a liar. He lies, lies, lies. I mean, I mean, you just look back at the last week uh, at what's been what's been going on and uh, that all the pundits have been saying it. We saw a different Donald Trump uh, on three different nights. We saw um, teleprompter true. Trump. We saw Nazi rally Trump. <laughs> And we saw uh, when he went to the veterans and said, uh, oh, yeah, no, now we need love and unity. We need love hippie, and unity. We, we, no, this is a new one. But meanwhile, there he is on Twitter being the Trump. I mean, he hasn't hidden who he is. All those people who said that the office will change him, he will become presidential, that hasn't happened. Instead, what he's doing is he's changing the office. You know, listen, he's the same guy that body slammed Mick, Mick, uh, Vince McMahon yep. at a WWF wrestling match. He is a character caricature. Yeah. This is all a joke. Like, it is. this is like the biggest joke ever been played. We are being played by the president, by Russia, by everything. And yep. the people being played the worst are Donald Trump supporters. And the fact that 36% of this country still supports him is insane. It's Selena? a YouTube comment section is running the country right now. Yeah, literally. <laughs> no, no, no. You guys, it's 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 so laughable that it brings me to tears because then I remember this is not an SNL skit. This is reality. The question I have for his base, do they support paying for the wall? Because he's saying it like, you know, is he's pretty blatant. Like, everyone knows we would have to pay for it now. What's their response? Well, number one of two things. Either A, um, they support paying for the wall, despite the fact that they don't support spending money on anything else, right? So, like, they, they, they're, these are the same people that spent the eight years well, complaining about Obama spending money. So that's the first thing. Or... They believe his lie that Mexico is going to reimburse us for the wall. Stop it. Guess what? Mexico's never reimbursing us for the wall, okay? Not happening. You can add that to the war in Afghanistan is never ending, not happening, um, and, you know— uh, I don't know. Repeal and replace Obamacare. The the only— But that's a good thing. Yeah, the the only— and it's not really a positive. The only positive thing that's coming out of this with his base, and do they support what he's saying now? Yes, they do. And why do they support him building a wall? Why will they pay for that wall? It keeps out brown people. I mean, this is just it. The very core reason, while Trump is president, how did someone so horrible become president? Because horrible people support him. He, The people like the white supremacists. The Some people like people. the KKK. Yeah, you know what I mean? So... <laughs> They 
don't care about anything else except just keeping America, you know, they want to make America white again is really all this is. And so, yeah, they're fine with the wall because it keeps the illegal Mexicans out. They believe that part. Yeah, this is exactly what happens when you have fear mixed with stupidity. You have people. Ignorance breeds hatefulness. Absolutely. And you have people voting against their own interests and actually supporting legislation and policies that would hurt all of us in the long run, especially them, especially if they're white working class. I mean, I can only imagine the fact that, you know, they talk about they can't afford certain things. How do you think it's going to affect their pockets to know that we have to, uh, like taxes might actually have to be increased to pay for the wall? So I think that Donald Trump has succeeded in taking advantage of the very uneducated and the very disillusioned and using fear and bigotry to get his policies at least supported. I don't know about past in Congress, but at least supported. And it's and it's dumb that he keeps also like attacking the people like the, the Congress people that he actually needs to get this legislation uh, actually moved towards from a bill into a law or or just from rhetoric to a bill to a law. So I don't know. It's it's really confusing. Um, it's dumb. I'll say that at the least. But I mean, again, it's Donald Trump. On that note, we do have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We will continue the conversation about all the Trump dysfunction and what this means for our country moving forward. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I think that Donald Trump needs to throw some perm on his attitude (laughs) or just his stupidity. All right, guys. So we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are talking about Donald Trump. There's a lot to talk about. And guys, if you have questions or comments, feel free to chime in. The phone number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We're also taking comments on Facebook Live. I'm throwing it back to Alyssa. Yes, so we are talking about the debt ceiling conversation, the border wall, the feud between Donald Trump and Republicans. Um, and now I really want to talk about like what the Democrats' role in this is. So Democrats are actually considering using this debt debate to press Republicans to do bipartisan tax reform. Um s- That information is coming from some Democratic Senate aides. Um, That, of course, would inject sort of new uncertainty into this issue of raising the debt limit. Um, Overhauling the tax code is a top priority of the Trump administration and his fellow Republicans, but they haven't really made any progress on it uh, since January. And behind closed doors, um, the planning process um, is like so far on tax reform has ignored the Democrats, even though, as we saw with the collapse of health care, they really need the Democrats if they want to get anything done. because there's so much intra-party fighting, as you pointed out earlier in the segment. Uh, so Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer and House of Representatives Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi are sort of skeptical about supporting a debt ceiling increase, um, while Republicans are pursuing tax cuts that Democrats would say would increase the federal deficit. So that's really what I was talking about. Like, if you don't have money coming in and you give tax cuts, then you have an issue with the debt. So Democrats are, gonna, are basically saying, like, how are you going to give people tax cuts um, if you're going to also, like, raise the debt 
debt ceiling. And so what Democrats are saying is, well, then we want some assurances if we're going to vote for this debt ceiling to be raised that we are going to do tax reform in a bipartisan fashion and we're not just going to give huge tax cuts to the rich and that you're going to include us in that conversation. Um, So like, you know, this also creates more of an issue now because then raises a question of like, what is Democrats role in this? Republicans control the House. Republicans control the Senate. Um, Republicans really the Democrats could step back and say, hey, you guys are in charge now. You have to govern. Raise the debt ceiling on your own. We're not going to give you our votes. And they could say we're not voting for this at all. And if you can't get enough of your own votes to pass it and we go into default, um, then, you know, we can use that to stick it to you during the midterm. So that's one option Democrats have. Another option is to negotiate with them and say, well, we'll give you our votes um, if you agree to negotiate with us on tax reform. But there's a possibility that that could blow back in their faces because Republicans could say, yeah, we're going to do that. But then when the time comes, they could say, yeah, we were just playing. Ha ha ha. You got played. And that's more than a possibility, as Chad just said. Um, So I'm curious to know what you guys think about what the Democrats rule in this is. Should the Democrats let Republicans fail on their own? Should they get involved? Should they try and use it as a negotiation? What should Democrats be doing right now? Chad? Chad? Well, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that the Republicans would do any kind of negotiations with the Democrats now that they're in power for the simple reason that the Republicans were not in power during the Obama years and they wouldn't negotiate with the Democrats then. Democrats repeatedly reached across the aisle, even when they had a supermajority, to work with Republicans and their outstretched hands were met by machetes. What would be the point? of trying to deal with Republicans now. They're not going to negotiate with you. If they do negotiate with you, they're just going to stab you in the back. Do you think Mitch McConnell is someone that can be trusted? No, but do you think the Democrats should let Republicans let us default on the debt? Of course not. I'm open to suggestions as to how that would happen. Like, how do how do we work with the Republicans on this? They won't. So... <laughs> what do we do? I mean, Donald Trump is calling the Democrats obstructionists, which is just ridiculous. How is that even possible for them to obstruct anything? But it's do we try to work on bipartisan tax reform? Sure, that would be nice. But I can't realistically see it happening. Yeah, I, I agree with Chad here. Um, you know, I'm I heard some people like even on Washington talking about the crash and burn strategy, like, you know, Republicans are running government right now. And if they do crash and burn, hey, they'll take the brunt of it and we can take over 2018 and 2020. Alyssa, you know, listen, I kind of am in that boat, too. I feel like Republicans spent so long playing obstruction um, and not helping the Democrats out with anything and then turning around and trying to say, like, oh, the Democrats are trying to govern without us, yada, 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 which is like a huge lie, um, because apparently that's all that ever comes out of that side of the aisle is lies, um, you know, with some exception. Um, So, like, on one level, I feel like the Democrats should let them crash and burn. The Democrats should be like, guess what? You're in charge. If you can't pass the debt ceiling and we go into a recession, that's your fault. On the other hand, I also think it would be sort of fiscally irresponsible for the government, you know, for the Democrats to not provide crucial votes. But that also depends on whether or not it's going to be a clean debt ceiling raise. Right. If like the Republicans tried to attach support funding for a border wall into the debt ceiling negotiations, then I absolutely do not think the Democrats should vote for that. I know that's a really hard position to take because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it's a good idea for us to default. I didn't think it was a good idea for us to default back when we had this fight when Obama was president. I didn't think it was a good idea for us to default. And I don't think it's a good 
idea for us to default now. But at the same time, like, when are Republicans going to learn? And also, like, this also matters from the left, because you have a huge portion of the left that think that Democrats just cave all the time, and that Democrats shouldn't cave. And, like, you know, that's just going to be more of the Democrats caving and and maybe not getting anything or being promised something and not getting anything after all. Right. Just to finish my point, um, I agree because we can go either way, but if we if things were to crash and burn, it's going to hurt the most marginalized, disenfranchised communities. Right. So we're going to be the ones that are really, really going to suffer. So I, I keep that in front of mind all the time, too, even though I really want the, the Republicans to crash and burn. But on, on another note, um, another thing that I wanted to mention is that this country is so divided by partisan, partisanship, like it's not even... It's not even funny anymore. Like, we can't get anything done. Things weren't always like this. Our politics weren't always as divided. And never before have we had a leader who takes pride in dividing the country and just speaking to the one-third of Americans who actually supported him and who happened to be very far-right, racist, white supremacist, and white nationalist. So, I mean, it just speaks to the nature and the state of our country. The fact that we can't get simple things passed again, something is definitely detrimentally wrong. Right. I mean, listen, the debt ceiling used to be a conversation that, like, we didn't even have to have because they used to just do it automatically. Now the conversation is, like, what do we want to inject into it? So my thought is if the Republicans want to do a clean debt ceiling increase, then Democrats should obviously vote for it because that would be the standard. But if if Republicans want to mess around and try and put something in or if Republicans cannot get the votes on their own and they need Democrats, I don't know. Like, I'm really torn because it's a hard decision. But I guess that leads me to my last question for you guys, which is like, what role do we have to play in this? Obviously, um, you know, we are constituents of somebody, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, we are part of the resist, the larger resistance movement. Um, The debt ceiling is not always an issue that like constituents necessarily get involved in the way they do in other um, issues that obviously are more interesting. Like, for example, gay marriage is something people really cared about. Um, You know, so like, what is what role do we have to play as constituents in putting pressure on our elected leaders to get things done. Chad? Well, I uh, just want to touch real back uh, back real quick on what you said about uh, default on the on uh, defaulting on our obligations and how that was not something we ever had to have a conversation with before. That was an automatic. You know what else was an automatic? Denunciation of Nazis. That was an automatic. That just uh, happened. It didn't matter. But now that's a problem, too. What do we do? Now as a, it's, you know, we have to look at both sides. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> many, many, sides, many, sides. many, many sides. Many, many sides. But I mean, the thing is with the, you asked now about what, what do we as the people do? What do we as constituents do? Well, we, we do what we've already been doing. Right now, the Democrats are not the ones who are changing. The Democrats, that party is being dragged along by the people right now. That's what's actually happening. The resistance, indivisible, all the different marches that are springing up. The women's march was essential. That was a huge message right there there. Just the fact that it was the day after Donald's week tea inauguration to have the streets. I was there. I thought it was the, the streets were filled. inauguration ever. Oh, yeah. No, I was there. Oh, right. I that was, was on right. those streets. I went there. My wife and I went there. We had to be there. That was history, and we needed to make a stand. And that is what people are doing, and it's what I've been urging people to, to do. That if you follow my pages, he's, um, one, of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest ones that I'm on right now is called I Loved to Wake Up in the Morning when Barack Obama was president. And I regularly do 
live videos from the page about the Trump protests. For example, uh, the day after Charlottesville, when he decided to come to New York and uh, there was a huge protest outside Trump Tower. And then that Tuesday, he had his uh, had his disaster of a press conference where 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 he he once again doubled down on defending the white supremacists and again we went down there i dressed as captain america and mark ruffalo called me out that was great but what do the people do they keep doing what they're doing you keep showing up in the streets you keep calling and you keep showing up at town halls it wasn't exactly that the republicans couldn't vote as a as a as a group to repeal Obamacare, it's just that they were pressured so heavily in their constituents. Like, you have Republicans who won't even hold town halls right now. They're that afraid. You have people in their constituents holding up cardboard cutouts of their senators because they will not face them. That is what we need to do. The politicians need to fear us. It's not the other way around. And right now, that's that's been... The exact thing that's been opposing Trump has not been the Democratic Party. They're actually just being dragged along by us, we the people. You know what, Chad? You said something that really resonated with me. The politicians need to fear us, not the other way around. And that's what happened on the right. I mean, after the Tea Party went berserk, they actually voted in their candidates and they got people that they felt were their enemy within their party out. Like, again, John Boehner and Eric Cantor. So I th- and I've said this before. Let's take a page from their book and make sure that we mobilize and galvanize around the issues that where we need change and make sure that we hold the people that we elect accountable. And if you don't like the people that are elected, run yourself. I mean, just last week, we had a young man, Jamel Henderson, who is trying to run for city council, and eventually he wants to run for president, and he would be the perfect person. Like, he talked about his education platform, his policies, and how they're community-rooted. That's what we need, more young people like that. And I'll just end by saying this. I cannot overstate the need for us to affect change from the outside. It is imperative. Not everyone wants to run and get their hands dirty in politics. I understand that. But it doesn't take much to go to a rally, to tweet, to sign a petition. They're online. I mean, call up your senators. Take a minute to write a letter. I might take 15 minutes, but it's worth it. Because what's being hurt is us, our children, our schools. I mean... It's so much. And I'm just going to take it there and end it there and now throw it back to Alyssa. Um, Yeah, no, I I agree with everything Selena said. I actually don't think I could say it better than that. What I will say is this. You know, Barack Obama said, um, if you don't like what you see, run for office. Right. And, you know, that's exactly it. Don't ever forget. We are a government of the people, by the people, and it's supposed to be for the people. We can and should take the power back. That will not happen if we are not out there. There is the inside game. There is the outside game. Don't forget, midterms are coming. So there's a lot you can be doing to continue resisting. Get out there on the streets, vote, call your politicians, keep being engaged. Don't get distracted by Donald Trump's stupid tweets on Twitter. um, And we will make the change that we wish because at the end of the day, and I actually, I love this quote and it's Martin Luther King and I actually have it tattooed on me. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So, you know, things may seem not so great right now, but we got to keep fighting. We got to keep pushing and we got to be out there every single day because we're not going to make change if we are not doing that. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you why Sheriff Arpaio is never going to jail. We just call them face, though, in love with the money I 
And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I'm going to throw it to Alyssa because she's going to explain why convicted criminal Sheriff Joe Arpaio is not going to spend a day in jail. Yes. So um, you guys may have heard that there was a pardon issued uh, this week um, because, you know, the best way to issue a pardon is to do it during a hurricane so that no, so that you hope that nobody hears about it. Um, but uh, essentially, the president decided he was going to pardon Sheriff Arpaio uh, for uh having broke the law. Um, And so I want to spend a little time talking about, you know, what that means and what the difference is between a preemptive pardon um, and, uh, you know, a uh, post-conviction pardon um, and the difference between a pardon and clemency and why it actually matters. Uh, So let's take a step back and go back a little while um, from today. And uh, so a couple years back, uh, Sheriff Arpaio was the sheriff in Maricopa County, Arizona, um, and he basically was rounding up people just because they looked Hispanic. Um, he thought that just because somebody looked Hispanic, that gave him a right to stop and search them, uh, regardless of the fact that, you know, we have a constitution that in theory is supposed to prevent against those things. Um, and so this was happening and people challenged this practice uh, and they won. And a court issued an order and the court said, Sheriff Arpaio, you cannot just round people up because they are Hispanic because that is a violation of the Constitution. Hispanic is not a reason to stop somebody. Um, And in fact, uh, that violates the very fundamental ideals of who we are as Americans. And what did Sheriff Arpaio say? Sheriff Arpaio told the court, here's a big middle finger. I don't care what you say. I'm going to continue to round people up anyway um, because I just, you know, don't care about the rule of law. And what happened? People then went back and they brought more legal proceedings. And eventually, um, Sheriff Arpaio was actually arrested and he was charged with a crime. Uh, He was charged with criminal contempt. And what criminal contempt is, is failing, criminally failing to follow a court order. And namely, in this situation, it was to not round people up anymore against the law. And so he went to a trial. And eventually, a jury of his peers found him guilty, and he was convicted of this offense. And he was waiting to be sentenced, and we didn't know whether he was going to get sentenced to jail time or not, because it had not happened yet. Um, And then Donald Trump held this rally in Arizona last week, where he hinted at the fact that he was going to pardon him, but he was just not going to do it yet because it might be too controversial. So instead, he waited until this week, and then this week, he sent out a tweet saying that he had pardoned uh, Joe Arpaio. Um, because he was, quote unquote, basically a good person, uh, one of these good people who was just following the law. What? Uh, no, he wasn't because he got in trouble for not following the law, which said you're not allowed to just round up people because they're brown, because brown is not a reason to just round people up. <laughs> you need to have reasonable suspicion that somebody may be committing a crime. And in order to arrest them, you have to have probable cause and that somebody being brown does not give you reasonable suspicion that they may be, be uh, committing a crime. Um, and so Basically, this sort of throws a monkey wrench in this because now Sheriff Arpaio will not be sentenced. He won't go to jail. Um, His conviction, basically, it won't go away um, in that, you know, if he gets sued in a civil court, um, that can that essentially pardon will mean that, you know, he's it's an admission of guilt. So that's an interesting part about it in terms of the civil realm. But at least in the criminal realm, what it means is Sheriff Arpaio will absolutely not go to jail. Um, So I just want to kind of explain the difference between a preemptive pardon and an after-the-fact pardon. So preemptive pardon is what we saw during the Nixon administration. Uh, Nixon 
was alleged to have committed many crimes related to the break-in at the Watergate Hotel. Nixon resigned his post, uh, and after that, before he was ever charged with a crime, Ford issued a pardon. So because of that, Nixon never actually went to court. He was never actually convicted. He was never sentenced. Ford felt that the only reason, the the only way the nation could heal was to pardon Nixon so that we did not have to spend time and energy and money going through all the criminal proceedings. That has been debated and continues to be debated to this day as to whether or not it was a good idea. What happened here was something very, very different. It was not unlawful. It was actually well within the confines of the law, although it creates other constitutional problems and could potentially lead to a constitutional crisis, which I'm going to address in a minute. Um, But it was actually lawful. The Constitution gives the president the right to issue anybody a pardon uh, for any federal crimes um, that may have been convicted, may have been committed, even those that somebody has not been charged with yet, um, and also for any crimes that somebody actually was convicted of. Um, This is only federal crimes, which I'm going to talk about in a half a second. Um, And so here it was much different because here Joe Arpaio had been convicted, but he had not been sentenced yet. And so basically, instead of letting the legal proceedings play out and letting him actually be sentenced to a jail term and then saying, all right, he's going to be pardoned, he's not going to go to jail, Donald Trump never actually let that happen. Um, There is no hard or fast rule as to what point in the process it is supposed to happen. uh, But suffice to say, um, it sort of does not allow us as Americans to get justice in that we don't ever know what's going to happen because now the entire thing is kibosh. So the effect of the pardon is the criminal proceeding is now over um, and it will not go forward. Uh, there has been some questions about whether the uh, President Trump could can pardon him for state crimes. The answer to that is no. Uh, here we have a system of what's called federalism. You can be charged with a crime under the federal law. You can be charged with a crime under state law. Under federal law, when somebody gets pardoned by the president, that is it. Um, That crime does not go forward. But in theory, the state could still prosecute him, and then it would be up to the governor to pardon him. However, usually what happens in this situation is if the federal government issues a pardon— Nine out of 10 times, the state government will actually not go forward with any legal proceedings. Or if there are legal proceedings pending, the governor will decide also to issue a uh, a pardon as well under state law based on what we call principles of comedy. Um, There's another thing at play here uh, that's really important that I want to point out, which is the difference between a pardon and clemency. and commutation of a sentence. So a pardon is when the proceedings actually end. The person is not convicted. The the conviction essentially goes away, except with respect to civil court. Like I said, if they get sued, like that conviction sort of still stands. Um, But, you know, nothing actually comes of it. Um, And, um, you know, that's different than clemency. What clemency is and commutation is that conviction actually still stands, but you get out of prison. We saw this with Chelsea Manning. When Obama did not pardon Chelsea Manning, and absolve her of 100% of all her crimes, uh, Obama just said, we're going to let you out of jail. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Chelsea Manning's still going to have a conviction. Uh, The reason why this is so problematic is because what uh, Sheriff Arpaio was convicted of doing, which was flouting the Constitution. This is not like a drug dealer who sold drugs and got a long sentence under the war on drugs. And, you know, President Obama looks at that person and says, you know, if you were sentenced now, you wouldn't have gone to jail so long. So we're going to commute your sentence. 
or we're going to pardon you because this isn't right. The reason why this is such a problem is because it signals to law enforcement that if you violate the Constitution, you are never going to be held accountable. Side note, law enforcement is like not account- held accountable as it is, which is why we have a Black Lives Matter movement in the first place. But what this says to, to law enforcement is you can systematically violate people's rights. And if you get convicted of a federal crime, a federal um, civil rights violations um, or of being in contempt of a court order, which is a federal crime, you are now not going to be held responsible is in that I can just say, oh, no big deal. This could apply across the board in police cases. If, for example, the federal government was to look into the shooting of a black person and the federal government was to say, um, yes, there are civil rights violations. Basically, what Donald Trump could say is, "Eh, well, yeah, you committed civil rights violations and you should go to jail for the next 30 years. But you were just doing your job. Uh, So, you know, we're going to pardon you. And so this will embolden law enforcement to break the law, to harm black and brown people and to not be held responsible for their, uh, you know, for their actions. And that is why this pardon is so problematic. On that note, I'm going to throw it back to Selena. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for just breaking it down. I mean, we have a problematic government. We have a problematic uh commander-in-chief and of course he pardons an extremely problematic person who's supposed to be enforcing the law and said he's breaking the law to racially profile immigrants horrible but on that note guys we do like to end on a positive note happy sunday thank you so much for hanging out with us today on let your voice be heard thank you so much for our guest commentator chad r mcdonald who is an extremely good friend of the show now of course. Um, and guys, if you love us that much, check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe to Let Your Voice Be Heard right there. You can also subscribe to us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and as well as Google Play. So, and also, next week we won't be here. We're all taking a break. So, happy Labor Day in advance. Enjoy your Labor Day Sunday. Be safe, guys. And we'll see you again in two weeks. God Don't willing. drink and drive. Oh, yeah. And no drinking and driving.